Thank you, Bob. I hope you're encouraged by that, the opportunities that we have all around us. Take your Bibles, go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we're looking this evening at verses 21 through 25. How do Christians grow? It comes down to that. If you were to talk to a new believer and they asked you that question, what would you tell them? How do Christians grow? How can they weather the trials and storms of life that God allows that he's told us about here in James chapter 1? How can they grow in faith and stability and wisdom that we've seen being emphasized here in chapter 1? How do we keep growing? Let's read our text and then we'll consider what's before us here in this passage. James chapter 1 verse 21. God's word says to us, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness or humility the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, notice that's a change now for how we've been referring to the word, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, for this to work well for us, and this is our spirit as we look at God's word together always, is you to be involved, you to be thinking actively. So let me ask you the question, and you don't have to answer out loud, but be looking with intention. What is the controlling idea or argument of this paragraph in James chapter 1? So you're going to need to read it again, look at it again. What is the controlling idea or argument? I'm going to give you 30 seconds or more to read through these verses again and see if you can find them. What's his point? What's he telling us? All right, you have some ideas? So as we work through a, an epistle like this, we're about to start into James, so this is clearly on the forefront of my mind, you need to be thinking and looking for grammar, for clues. One of the guys in my Bible study is smiling. We have been working on this. All right, how many commands do you see in these five verses? Pay attention to the grammar, the verbs. How many commands do you see that show up in your English version. Those are very good indicators in an epistle. It looks like there are three. Technically, there are only two. One functions like a command, but it's technically not. Okay, but which one of those commands here in these five verses is primary? Which one is the controlling command throughout these five verses? The main command. 
I'm going to argue that it is receive. There in verse number uh, 21, receive with meekness the implanted word, or as the Christian standard Bible puts it, humbly receive the implanted word. So that will control how we think about this text. I'll say that the point of the text is that God calls genuine believers to humbly receive his word by obeying it. And what we see is if we stack these together, there's three, the one in the middle is controlling the other two. And the other two are telling us how this one works. All right. So first, Let's put it in some vernacular. Get rid of all the old garbage is what we see in verse 21. It begins with a therefore. We always ask, why is it there? What's the therefore, therefore? It seems best in this context to connect the therefore to what James has said in verse 18. So we skip back a couple of verses where he tells us of his own will, of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. God called us to life by his powerful word. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. You've been made new. So the basic argument, and we see this all throughout the Old Testament, or New Testament rather, is live up to the way that you've been created to be. That starts with a negative. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Verse 21 begins by telling us if we're going to grow by receiving his word into our lives, we have to be putting away our old way of life. The verb for putting away here means to take off. It's like removing very dirty or filthy clothes. So we we know what that's like. Picture with me, if you would, in the middle of July in South Carolina, and you have some jobs to do in your yard. A few years ago, we did this around our house We'd bought it maybe four or five years ago, and uh, it was time to remove those foundation shrubs. They'd grown and overgrown what they were intended to be. So it was long and hard work as we're digging out those roots. And just picture, after a couple of hours digging in that heat and humidity, my clothes are wet and filthy with dirt and mulch. The idea here in verse 21 is moral filth. Put that off. Don't go back to that. Don't live in that. Don't act that way anymore. In Zechariah 3, we're presented with a picture of Joshua, the high priest, clothed with filthy, soiled garments of the priesthood. And the angel of the Lord comes to him in this same picture of cleansing. And he provides him with a new splendid set of clothes, but he must first discard his old ones. If we're going to live the way God calls us to, we must discard the old ways of thinking and feeling. But filthiness is not the only thing we're told to put off in verse 21. We also must put away rampant wickedness or the evil that is so prevalent. It's an abundance of wickedness. Now, why does James have to say this to believers? I don't think when we read this, we're shocked that he's telling believers, don't go back to those old ways. If we know our hearts at all, we know our proclivities are to go back to that old way of thinking, to be attracted by desires that are not pleasing to the Lord, by chasing ourselves as the ultimate pursuit, by demanding our way and getting upset 
and frustrated and anxious and angry when things don't go our way. That's the old way. We know what it is to feel like we take aim to remove one area of persistent sin only to find another one pop up somewhere else in our life. It's like fighting the Hydra monster of the ancient Greek Greek myths. If you cut off one head, two more will grow in its place. It can seem like a never-ending, very discouraging struggle. So what hope do we have? How do we make progress? How do we grow in our walk with the Lord when things seem so difficult? James gives us the answer there with that command. Receive the word. What does it mean, though, to receive the word? How do we receive the word? That's what he's going to explain. How we receive it starts by the negative, but we move forward. We must see how great the challenge is if we're going to turn away from our old personal resources, our own rather personal resources of thinking, well, our natural tendency is if I'm choosing sin that's affecting my life, my natural response is, well, I need to behave differently. My natural response is religion, is self-righteousness, is personal effort, it's works. That's how we're all wired. If only I can work hard enough, I can get rid of this bad habit in my life. That's where all of us go, unbelievers, believers alike. James instead says you need to be influenced by the power of God through the word. Receive with meekness the implanted word. What produces the kind of change that God desires in our lives? Can that personal effort do that? Can you change your life? Can you change your desires? Can you reshape and reorient your heart? No, it's receiving with humility the word. Now, in order to fully understand this, what does it mean when he says the implanted word? Well, this is not something that's innate within us. It's not that you are born with this word planted within you. It's not native to us. It doesn't function like one of our vital organs, like our lungs. We're born with our lungs. That isn't put within our bodies. You don't go on receiving your lungs, right? They just sit there doing their work. They're already there. But consider what God says in Jeremiah 31, 33. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Similarly, a parallel passage in Ezekiel, I will give them a new heart, a heart of flesh. That's what happened when the gospel came into your life. The word was implanted. Now James is saying that you have to keep receiving that supernatural life-giving word into your life. Do you see the point that he's making? That's your hope for change and growth. You have to keep taking it in. It's like taking oxygen into your lungs. You have to keep breathing if you're going to continue to live. And how often do we think, well, I know all these facts about the Bible. I don't really need to be spending time there every day, do I? James is saying, absolutely you do. It's not to take in knowledge or more facts. It's to spend time with the giver of life. That's why you're there. You see the encouragement and instruction that James is giving us here. The influence of God's word is what produces renewed thoughts, 
renewed values, renewed behavior, renewed courage for the opportunities God will present to you. This word is powerful enough to cause you to come to life spiritually. It's inside of you. You don't have to be discouraged by your sinfulness. You have power within you from outside of you that God has planted there. That new heart, his own spirit. But you have to keep taking it in. You have to keep fellowshipping with him. You have to keep meeting with him. You have to fuel the fire so the spirit can direct you. He speaks through his word. James is going to provide us, though, with a warning here in verses 22 through 25. The warning is don't be deceived by mere agreement. Now, you might be thinking that you're not so sure about this because you do spend some time in the word. And very often it doesn't seem to be giving you any life at all. So what are you talking about? That's not been my experience. Well, well, maybe James is describing your condition in verses 22 through 25. This is where the warning comes in, and we receive further clarification for what it means to receive the word. Now, we know these verses pretty well. In fact, verse 22 might be the most familiar verse in all of the book of James. But what does it mean that we're to be doers of the word in light of what we've seen in verse 21? B is another one of those commands, but it demonstrates how we receive the word. Let's see how they're tied together. Receiving the word, taking it in, is more than just hearing. Notice there's lots of talk about hearing, but the problem is the person is just hearing and not acting. So often we're very much like the picture presented to us here in these verses. We accept the truthfulness of the word. We can hear messages and say, sure, I agree, but we don't do anything with it. If it is not shaping the way that we live, then we've not yet genuinely received it. Does that make sense? Do you see how James is making that point? But be doers. Listen to how Paul emphasizes obedience to the word in Romans 2.13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who are justified. Jesus repeats this in Luke eleven twenty eight, 28, but he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. God isn't just telling you things to do so you can say, yeah, that sounds good. But to obey, but to obey and reflect him back in that obedience. In God's commands to us to obey his word, we see both his gracious initiative of putting that life within us and the necessary grateful response of obedience from human beings. The word through which we are born, which becomes implanted within us, is a word that must be practiced or it remains inert. It remains inactive. Verses 23 and 24, we see the key failure of the one described as a hearer only is that he forgets. He sees the truth in the mirror. He recognizes it as truth but he does nothing with it. And then he walks away and forgets. He could take action, but he puts it off and never does. In essence, when we do this, we're forgetting God himself. We're going back to that old way of living that says, I am king. What I feel, what I desire, what I want is preeminent. 
We may be similar to the rocky soil where something springs up briefly, but no real roots are developed. That might even be your eternal condition. Does that describe you? Are you a shallow Christian because you acknowledge the word to be true, but you don't live it? Verse 25 presents us with the positive side, the encouragement, the one who looks into the perfect law. Notice how that connects right with that idea of obedience. It's a law of liberty. It gives us life and freedom. The one who perseveres will be blessed in so doing. The verb for look means to look intently or intentionally. It has the basic meaning of stooping down to examine. We see this word used in John 20 of Mary Magdalene when she comes to that tomb and it's empty and she wants to see what's happened inside. And she sees the clothes. She had to stoop down in to look. I picture something like a, a, a detective, like Sherlock Holmes, bending over, stooping, looking for the smallest detail and clue to untangle the web of a crime that he's pursuing. Life and growth, this passage tells us, comes from the word. It takes repeated and consistent effort to understand what God has said. It takes perseverance. It takes humility, this passage tells us. You know, this passage brings to my mind Jacob's wrestling with the angel where he tells him that he will not let go. He will not stop until God blesses him. Prayer for a more consistent, more quality time in the word is a frequent prayer in my life group, in our life group. It should be frequent prayer on each of our hearts. But now perhaps we can pray how James is instructing us here in these verses. Help me to receive your word. Help me to fully receive it and do it. That's what it means to receive it. Not just hear it, not just agree with it, to obey it. Help me to receive it humbly. Help me to receive it through perseverance. Help me to receive it as we pursue you together in it. I think that's the encouragement here that we might miss because it's maybe a little silent. You're not alone in this. This is a letter written to a group of Christians that are meant to encourage and help each other as they receive the word. There might be somebody in the body who has discovered a, a tool in reading God's word, a skill that they've developed that would be really helpful to you to unlock some of your frustration. It might be that you are frustrated and you need to just talk and tell somebody about that and they need to pray with you or maybe spend time just reading the word with you. I recently heard a testimony of a guy who said that and he said, I don't know how to do this. So he met with a good friend who was walking with the Lord and they did their devotions together until he did learn how to do it. What a wonderful way that God has gifted us to grow together as a body. You're not alone, so keep at it. Keep reading. Keep developing, those, developing your skills. Keep obeying. Keep obeying it. And when you fall down, get back up again. He wants you to see him in these pages even more than you do. And he's promised here to honor that faithful pursuit. In 1495, Thomas Bilney was born. He eventually became an early English evangelical reformer. He accomplished much for God and his kingdom. What was the key to his spiritual power? 
It was his encounter and ongoing experience of God's word. He described one of the early turning points like this. I chanced upon this sentence of St. Paul in the scriptures. Oh, most sweet and comfortable sentence to my soul. In 1 Timothy 1, it is a true saying and worthy of all men to be embraced that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief and principal. This one sentence through God's instruction and inward working of the spirit, which I did not then perceive, did so exhilarate and ignite my heart, being before wounded with the guilt of my sins and being almost in despair that I immediately, I felt a marvelous comfort and quietness in so much that my bruised bones leap for joy. After this, the scriptures began to be more pleasant to me than honey or the honeycomb. That's a pretty familiar passage. What's he saying? He's saying, I saw that it was about me. I owned it. I didn't just acknowledge it. I owned it. And the Spirit made that conviction that that was about me come alive. That's my prayer for us at Subarode, that we would receive the word and do it and do it. May we so receive the word of God in meekness and humility that it becomes more pleasant to us than honey or the drippings of the honeycomb. Let's close with prayer and we'll be dismissed this evening. Our gracious God in heaven, we rejoice again in your great kindness to us, in your wisdom, in your power. Lord, in your kindness, you have given to us a book that gives us life. Lord, this book will radically change us. Forgive us for being discouraged by hearing that so often, but ignoring it. Lord, forgive us by doubting that that is actually true. Because in our experience, we haven't seen it give us much life or joy. Lord, help us to persevere. Help us desire to obey Lord, there are some here this evening that hear this and it, it might be a little discouraging to them because they, they don't feel that. They don't have the desire for the word. They, they know they ought to have. Stir that up with them again. Help them to look to you for your grace to help them want to want you. Lord, I pray that we would cast ourselves on you again and recognize that you have given us all we need for life and godliness in Jesus Christ, and you have introduced us to this word of life, the one who gives living water here in these pages. So may we seek to own and believe and be convinced and cling and meditate on the life-giving words that show us who you are. We praise you for the opportunities that you do give us to share this good news with those in our communities, our trash man, the bug man, those that we work with. Lord, open our eyes to see the opportunities around us this week. Give us the boldness to declare what we ought to declare, that we would show others, that we would tell others that Christ is worthy of our worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, you are dismissed.